Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. It is now time for more Guy Talk, Hour 2, where every week I falsely promise pizza. And it never seems to show up. One day. One day, we say, but not today. There's a biblical word for that. What is it? Repent. (laughs) (laughs) So glad to have Jeff Verdorn, Trevor Rubenstein, and Tom Parrish as my power panel today. Great questions that have come in. Thank you so much for sending them in. Let me know what you have. We'll address it, 877-933-2484. Here's a question, gentlemen. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1 and 2 reads, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And the question is, why does it say, unless you believed in vain? Who wants to go first, hour two? I'm looking at Tom Parrish. (laughs) 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 I started looking at Jeff. Yeah, I know you did. This This is a tough one. There are, as much as the once saved, always saved appeals to me, and predominantly where I come from, there are scripture passages that make it sound like, hey, wait a minute, you've got to endure to the end. You can't simply claim it and then not follow it. I don't understand, and I don't want to generalize this, but I don't understand the depth of that or what that means. What I know when I tell people all the time is this. If today your focus is on Jesus and your focus is on him tomorrow, you don't have to be concerned about any of this. But when your focus is no longer on Jesus— There are questions that need to be asked, and I know I have family members who were baptized, confirmed in that, and now are living lifestyles that are so far away from the Lord, and uh, I want them to be in heaven. So for me, it's real easy to say, you know, well, they they made a confession at 12. I don't know. Only the Lord knows that for sure. What I want to make sure of is that people are confessing today. If you're confessing today, you're okay. You know, this word... For believe here is the a very important Greek word. It's pistuyo, and it's it's what the scripture says is the requirement for salvation. If you believed, you will be saved. So, yeah. for example, in Acts, when the jailer comes to Paul and says, "What must I do to be saved?" He gives him a single criterion that is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. I do believe that scripture. The overwhelming you know, evidence of scripture is that once you are born again, you are born again for all of eternity. So I don't think that's what's going on here. But I think what it is, is it's, I think it's a Greek English thing. Pistuyo has a kind of a twofold definition. The first part of Pistuyo is to believe it's true. But the second part is to entrust specifically for salvation. So when James says, even the demons believe that there's one God and tremble, it's the same Greek word, pastuyo, but they don't believe unto salvation clearly, right? Correct. But they believe it's true. So I think Paul, using this word here, is saying, you've heard it, 
right? Have you truly believed the fullness of pastuyu unto salvation? Because I'm convinced that Scripture says that that is the criteria for salvation, believe and be saved. So I, I, I like that. I just I think it's an English thing going on there. Is yeah. it? Is it? And I could be. This is the first time I've looked at this at this level. But what comes to me in my understanding of First Corinthians chapter fifteen, if you look down, for example, at verse thirteen, Paul says, "But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and our faith is also empty." Is it kind of playing that? If this isn't true, then it would would have just been in vain. But we know it's true because he rose sure. from the dead. Is it possibly just p- playing off of that as a? It could well be. Yeah. It could be. I mean, that's clearly what you know that Arian about verse fourteen is talking about, right? If yeah. this isn't true, then we're all just wrong. We're all just blowing hot air, right? Yeah. And he may be giving a hint to that up here in verse two. I, yeah. I like that. But to encourage people uh, is that uh, he goes on and, and makes the very clear statement that over 500 people have seen the resurrected Jesus. So there is no vain belief. And and actually, if I'm not mistaken, this is actually one of the oldest parchments uh, that we have in all of scripture and and it states here that these people are alive today. Paul's saying that you can talk to these individuals right. that were there when he wrote this, and you can go talk to them, and they're alive, and they'll tell you about them seeing the resurrected Jesus. So, um, so really, I think if it is a play, and I'm not sure, but if it is a play on, it's it's clear that it's not in vain, um, and that's assured throughout the chapter. Hmm. All right, how about uh, time for a little praise moment? You guys in the mood? Yeah. Sounds like fun. All right. Trevor, you got a nod yes, too. I need full cooperation from everybody. (laughs) Um, All right. Um, My wife and I have a praise God moment that happened today. Wow. We've been budgeting and saving the past years to buy a home while also giving to the church. Tomorrow, we close on our first home. Mm, Today, we found out that last minute, the seller has decided to gift us $5,000 on the house to help my wife and I be able to put 20% down and not have private mortgage insurance. This will save us hundreds. Our realtor said this doesn't happen in the housing market, and it is truly a God-given gift. The Lord is so good and faithful. Thank you, Lord. That's fun. You know, some of the God economy stories are some of the best stories around, aren't they? They are. One of the things I do every Sunday when I teach Sunday school or even in the worship service, there are many times I will say, does anybody have want to share an answer to prayer or seen a miracle or the Lord has moved in our life? Because I think what happens is we, we have a tendency to be good, hopefully, preachers and teachers of the Word, but we're so intellectual. We've got to get down to the practical level. This is a practical level. Mm-hmm. This is saying the, the Lord we believe in has brought us this gift through this person so that we can do this. We need to hear more of that because that's the reality of the gospel. Mm -hmm. All right. And now on the other side, I I am in crisis mode. I have already have anxiety and some health issues, and I just retired, and I'm lost. I'm single, and I feel useless. My anxiety is through the roof. I need God's direction. So I'll just keep this person anonymous, but maybe Tom Parrish, you could pray Let's just refer to her as our dear sister. How's that? Let's do it. Lord, we do pray for our dear sister. Lord, help her to gain how you view her, 
I know that she's down and she's not feeling well and that she doesn't feel valuable. But Jesus, she is created in your image. You have set her apart to be your ambassador of the gospel and minister of reconciliation. She has a significant place. Now, Lord, open her eyes to that. Reassure her, Lord Jesus, that she is so valuable to you, as we all are who believe in you, and we give you thanks and praise for her, Lord. Amen. Thank you for that. Another concern is in from a listener. I'm self-employed and have worked myself to death, almost. And then sales don't go through, so I have no income. A servant is worthy of hire. I need prayers for sales, income, and God's direction in my life. Mm-hmm. So, Jeff, would you pray? Yeah. Um, name or just brother? Leave it in. Uh, woman. Okay. Mm-hmm. Lord, we pray also for this dear woman for provision, Lord, that you bless her work, bless her efforts, and provide. You know, Lord, what we need, and you know what this woman needs. So I just pray that as she seeks you, as she trusts in you, uh, that you provide for her materially. And Lord, that she would fix her eyes on you, and then your peace guard her heart and her mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much. All right, here's another question. I heard a pastor say that animal sacrifices will be once again required during the millennial kingdom. Is this true? And if so, why? Trevor, I'm looking your direction. (laughs) (laughs) This is uh, complicated. Um, (laughs) Thank you. You're absolutely right. (laughs) Yeah. The the question most likely comes from uh, a look at the latter chapters of Ezekiel, um, where in the latter chapters of Ezekiel, there's description of a temple that has not existed. The the funny thing with the with the Ezekiel temple is that uh, it also um, doesn't correlate with the temple that we read about the the in the book of Revelation. So it's so it's very kind of a curious thing. Um, the the Ezekiel temple speaks of again sacrifices. Uh, I think that uh, the if if it were possible um, that sacrifices would be offered uh, in a in a premillennial perspective, the reason would most likely correspond with with something for the idea that uh, sacrifices in the Hebrew scriptures were actually for the flesh. In Hebrews chapter nine, I believe verse thirteen. Let's see how my memory is here. Um, yes, it says, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkle the unclean sanctifies the purifying of the flesh. So what was happening with Israel in the, in the Hebrew scriptures is the sacrifices that were being offered, it actually states that they atoned, but they obviously did not atone for the eternal soul. They atoned for the flesh, which would be temporary and would allow the people of Israel to not perish while they dwelt in the presence of God. And so the sacrifices were offered for that purpose. Uh, it goes on in the, in the, in the uh, book of Hebrews and states in verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works and serve the living God? So the idea is... If a if a animal sacrifice could allow the people to dwell physically in the presence of God for another year, what kind of sacrifice would be necessary, not just for the flesh of a person, but for the eternal soul for all of humanity who would put their faith and trust in Jesus, and not just for one year, but for all of eternity, and obviously that's only the Lord himself. So 
if it's done, the reasoning for it, I guess, would be that uh, that it would allow people because uh, the idea in a premillennial system is that there are unregenerate individuals still dwelling within that time frame. Uh, it would allow them to dwell in the presence of God without perishing in his holy presence, if that's even true. And of course, that would mandate that you're taking a premillennial position. Um, which a lot of people don't also. Uh, so uh, yes, so if you're if you are awe or postmillennial, obviously the answer would be no. Um, premillennial, that would have to be the situation and the reasoning would be probably the best understanding. Yeah, so from a if if I can, I'll take a premillennial view for a second and say that if this is the the temple that is going to be built during the millennial reign. This is the during the kingdom of Christ. So Ezekiel leading up before basically chapter 40, you have uh, a description of this battle, uh, which sounds an awful lot like the Armageddon battle and then a second coming of Christ and the salvation of Israel leading into the millennial reign a thousand years so that this temple, Ezekiel's temple, would be the temple that would be built and existent during this thousand-year reign. And so the idea goes that just as the sacrifices before the cross were, as Hebrews 10 says, an annual reminder of somebody's sin, the sacrifices that would be conducted during the millennial reign would be a reminder for those people living during the millennium that aren't saved, who who are under the kingship of Christ Jesus as the ruler of King of kings and Lord of lords on earth— but haven't recognized him as their Savior and Lord, it's an annual reminder looking back to the sacrifices of cross. But there, it, there is a little bit of a question. It's like, well, if Christ was the sacrifice once for all and sat down at the right hand of the Father, never to be sacrificed again, why do we return to the annual, uh, animal sacrifices during the millennial reign? And, you know, the only answer, I think, is that that the animal sacrifices is an annual reminder of the people's sin. And there will be people that need the forgiveness from the ultimate sacrifice, Christ, living even during the millennial reign. And there's a real strong possibility. Uh, there's a real strong possibility that the temple mentioned there is actually symbolic. Uh, Ezekiel himself was a priest, and so the Lord could have communicated to him many future things in regard to that type of analogy. All right, we'll take a short break and be right back with more Guy Talk. Or guys who talk, let me know what questions you have for the very impressive power panel, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Hi there and welcome. If you are a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome packet gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. It is time for Guide Talk. More of it. We uh, buy in bulk and pass the savings on to you. That guy talk. Except for pizza. Now a full now a full two hours on Thursdays. Yeah. So let me know what questions you have. 877-933-2484. Here's a nice little remark. Thank you, gentlemen. I truly enjoy Guy Talk. I have the privilege of teaching sixth and seventh grade Sunday school. What do you all think is their greatest needs right now? What encouragement do you have for teachers? God bless you. Hmm. I think I know. And I don't want to overstate this, but I think identity and purpose 
mm-hmm. are the two biggest things our kids need today. They need to know who they are in Jesus Christ, and they need to know why they're here for Jesus. It doesn't matter if they become great doctors, lawyers, football players, whatever. Do the best job you can, but that's your pulpit for your ministry to be able to declare the reality of Jesus Christ. When people get the identity and purpose, I think they're going to live a much healthier and better life because they're not letting the world define them. They're not letting their boyfriend define them or girlfriend. They're being defined by the Word of God. Um, yeah, and uh, really a focus on personally connecting to the Lord within the ministry. So so of being able to help people to pray, help people to read the Word on their own. Uh, there's so many young people today that their exposure um, to the things of God end when they leave church on the Sunday morning. And so, uh, and so it's, it's the idea of making this into truly your lifestyle and recognizing that you have the ability to connect to this God in whom your identity is found. I'm actually writing a book on this right now. It'll be my fourth book if it ever gets done on identity and purpose in the Lord. But I've also got some teaching material. And if this listener lets Bill know, their email and Bill gives it to me. I will send it free of charge, put it to work. Uh, I just asked, let me know how it goes. Hmm. All right. All right. Let me jump to a passage here. I've got so many things open here on my, uh, my laptop. Just go away. Oh boy. This is not good. <laughs> All right. Talk among yourselves. Give me just a second here to try to find this. What kind of pizza do you guys like anyway? Yeah, well, awesome. that's not going to happen. Thin okay. crust. Wasting okay. your time and your breath. Crust. Are you a thick crust guy? Or <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Oh, you're a thick crust. I'm an anchovy guy, so I probably have no friends. Okay. Oh, we like anchovies. Oh, yes. Nice. Oh, okay, nice. I got it. <laughs> All right, this is this is out of the New Living uh, Testament, but it's 1 John 5, 16, so if you guys can boot that up. Yep. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will... Give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. Now, that's in the New Living Translation. I know First John 5, 16, somebody else have another translation to offer? Uh, I think I got the NIV up, and it says virtually the same thing, that there is a sin unto death. I do not say that he should pray for it, for the sin that leads to death. Um, so it's very similar to the Living Translation. Okay. So, and the question is, what is that sin that leads to death? So, uh, you know, very simply, we know that if you have the Son, you have life. And if you are don't have the Son, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. So this is a has been a tough passage, been debated for a long, long time within the church. Um, but very simply, whenever I come across this passage or I'm in this passage in First John, I just think very simply, he who has the Son has life, he who does not have the Son does not have life. You either are alive or you're dead in your trespasses and sins. So that's generally how I approach this passage and see it. I would agree. This is a, a difficult passage. I wish, I know we wouldn't have the room if we if the authors had written more about it, like John says, it would fill up the whole world. But we just don't have enough depth here, I think, to really get the straight bottom line of this thing. Bottom line is this, and this is what I want people to hear over and over. Any sin can be forgiven. Jesus is always ready to forgive you on this side of eternity. Amen. Your role 
is to surrender to Jesus. And I encourage people, do it every day. I, that's where I start my day. Jesus, you are Lord. I commit myself to you again. I'm going to serve you with my heart. Forgive me and help me to be like you. If we do that, then we have nothing to worry about, and these passages should not be troubling. If we have a brother who's doing that or a family member, I think we need to really say to them, you know, how are you going to account to Jesus for what you're doing and not giving him glory? And see how they respond. Uh, but I want people to have that assurance, and too many don't have it. Bill, your listeners sure aren't giving us a, any slow pitch sound. <laughs> they're, <today. not>. they're not. <laughs> they they're like not. they like listening to a squirm. I think I do. They they enjoy that. The next one's going to be your direction, Trevor. Oh, um, I love this. Hello, talking guys. <laughs> That's a new one, but I love I it. I like it. Um, I love your program and look forward to it every Thursday. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. My question is: Why don't Jewish people proselytize to learn about their Lord? Oh yes, uh, I can tell you historically. Um, the reason is that uh, Jewish people historically have uh, been killed for their faith um, so that they quickly learned to keep it to themselves um, because, uh, unfortunately, the consequences uh, were dire for the people of Israel. But, uh, but as far as uh, theologically, um, actually, Jewish people do not see, and the, of course there's different forms of Judaism, so I'm speaking more, more on traditional Judaism. They do not see an indiv- a Gentile's eternal life having to do with being Jewish. Um, they consider a certain amount of, uh, or s- certain laws that they call Noahide laws that they say pre-existed the time of Moses. So things about only worshiping one true God, things like uh, not murdering, um, these type of things they see as essential for Gentiles, but something different for the Jewish people. Actually, not not uh, entirely different than what the early church decided in Acts chapter 15, where they came to the conclusion when the Gentiles are coming to believe that they don't have to become Jews, um, that salvation is available for everybody in a different way. And uh, and so they gave different regulations upon that conclusion. Mm-hmm. This is, we might mention, we were talking about this actually a little bit before the show, that there is a movement in Christianity uh, generally called the Hebrew Roots Movement where some Christians are actually returning to the Old Testament and the principles of the Old Testament in an effort to somehow uh, gain favor or to please God more and more by observing the Old Testament law and returning to the Hebrew roots, if you will, of their faith. And it's like, where did you where do you miss in the New Testament— that Christ was the fulfillment of the law. Paul says a dozen times at least that he's no longer under the law, that we live under a new covenant, that we now live by grace. Mm. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got some prayer we're going to do. We've got lots of questions to answer, and there's some terrific questions coming in, uh, not to mention some nice nice compliments. Thank you for all of that. It means a lot to us. 877 is the text line. It's open just for you. I know you got a question rambling around in your head. Maybe you've had it in your head for five years. Let us know what it is. 877-933-2484. Trevor Rubenstein, Jeff Redorn, Tom Parrish. Those are my talking guys today. Be right back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. If you just climbed in your vehicle, it is Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Great uh, time to send over a question with anything you might be wondering about, something that's in God's Word, something that you heard in a Bible study, something you uh, you heard at church and you would like some more discussion on any topic, let me know. 877-933-2484. I have Jeff Verdorn, Trevor Rubenstein, and Tom Parrish is my power panel today. And Trevor, you're the new kid on the block today. So, so a lot of questions have come in because you're Jewish and here they are. Uh, but before we get to that question, I do want to uh, let you know as well that earlier in the show, I, I said, if you're in crisis today, don't stay there by yourself. Let, let us know how we can come alongside and pray for you. And, and several have reached out. And, and this one uh, just kind of broke my heart. So I do want to pray. Um, and here's the message I received. I would greatly appreciate prayers for both of my children who have lost their faith in God in their early adulthood. My oldest child is transgender and will soon have top surgery. My oldest child Mm. was in a very dark place for many years with the feeling of gender dysphoria, and which I witnessed as a mom. This is a difficult subject. I feel my child is the same on the inside. Thank you for your prayers, for guidance from the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Tom, would you pray? Yeah, let's Uh, do that. My kids are, are 21 and 18. Okay. Lord, we pray for this mom. She's carrying an incredibly heavy load, Jesus, and we ask you to begin to take that off of her because, Lord, you are the ultimate healer. We pray for her children, Lord. You know how you created them. You know the sex you created them. You know what you want for them. But, Lord, they are listening to a society and their own inner ideas that are deceiving them. Lord, appear to them in a dream or a vision. Do whatever you need to do, Lord, to wake them up before they make such bad steps that they'll regret it the rest of their life. Bring your peace and your joy, and no matter what happens, Jesus, redeem them for your kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. One quick thought. I heard this the other day, and I thought it was kind of a very good point. There's always this point that that people are born that way. right? We've heard this argument for decades as it relates to homosexuality, but it's also been applied to transgenderism. Well, the number of people identifying as transgender has skyrocketed in the last few years, right? As our society is is promoting it, pushing it, approving of it, and 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 this lie that that you know you can be whatever gender you want, kind of thing, has been pushed on society. The number of trans people identifying trans has been skyrocketing. If we if you're born that way, it shouldn't be changing at all. So maybe it's just not how you're born, but maybe it's it's a lie being accepted from the world. And the number of people that have gone through transgendered and gone through all the surgery, all the hormones and chemicals, there are groups of them now that are rebelling, that are getting ready to sue, quite frankly, doctors and lawyers mm-hmm. and others who let them get into this when they were 12, 13, and 14 years old. And quite frankly, we are called to protect children because— Amen. We can have, at any age, you can have strange ideas, but let's help these children understand the truth. All right, here's another comment. Uh, It started out as a very tough week, and I was feeling overwhelmed, and it distracted me. God is faithful and totally brought me through, and I'm just so grateful. I adore him and give him praise. Amen. Praise God. That's a happy uh, happy comment, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. 
All right. Um, thank you for your questions. 877-933-2484 is the number to text. Again, I'll give it to you one more time. 877-933-2484. All right. Um, sorry for the delay. I've, I'm just trying to navigate my way through the mess on my computer uh some hosts might do that over the break, but, you know... The- some might. Yeah, some might. <laughs> some, yeah. It, it, yeah. Can, I, can I say the, one of my, your funniest jokes? When you used to be a comedian, yeah. this is like one I'm of my favorites. Anymore. Okay. <laughs> Good one. But I remember you were in the middle of your routine, you'd pull out some cards and you'd read it, and, and your comment was, some comedians memorize their jokes. What a waste. <laughs> One of my favorites. All right. Here's a question. Uh, how did Jesus not inherit sin from Mary? I think we've talked about this before. Yes. It, uh, in, in my understanding, actually, Bill, would be that uh, sin comes through the Father. Um, that's what the Torah clearly states, actually, from generation to generation, um, which would which would actually necessitate the virgin birth. Um, because uh, it, it's it's it, and this is actually even in the Ten Commandments, right? So when we look at Exodus chapter twenty, um, it, it states that uh, that the Lord um, passes on the sin of the of the children through the father for generations, right? And so, uh, and so, if that's the case, then obviously Mary, not being a male, and uh, and obviously uh, Joseph not being the biological father of Jesus, um, he would have circumvented that entire situation. Um, it's the only way to accomplish it, and yet he still was a biological descendant of the required ancestry um, of going through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and eventually through David, through both lines, a- inheriting everything that he needed in position, and biology, uh, but yet circumventing the issue of sin um, that unfortunately, as fathers, we apparently, according to the Torah, pass on to the children. A lot of, a lot of silence all of a sudden. Me, you? Well, yeah, either way, there, there's, and I appreciate that, Trevor. That is a good explanation, and I like that uh, very much. One of the other explanations is, is that Mary was a host to Jesus being born in a womb. She wasn't an egg donor. So I don't know. I don't know how that actually figures out. What I know is the Scripture is very firm on the fact that he was born of a woman, born under the law, and he truly was human, but he was without sin. And, I, Trevor, I think your explanation makes more biblical sense to me than anything else I've heard because that's exactly right. The Old Testament puts the emphasis on the Father, to the third and fourth generation and all of that, that was removed. That's an interesting concept. Thank you. Yeah, there, I mean, we get into biology pretty quick here, right? I mean, the the idea that Adam was created without any pre-existing DNA, Mary being blessed, she certainly was blessed because she carried and cared for the Messiah, the, 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 the Lamb of God, right? Um, and whether or not it's necessary for Jesus to actually uh, be... From the egg of Mary or not, it's interesting because Luke will say that what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So you kind of have to decide biology 
did somehow the egg was used and and God impregnates or or makes from that egg a fully formed person, or did God make a body in the womb of a virgin? Right. So as you t- so those are the two basic kind of theological options you have. Um, the main point, Trevor, and you, you pointed this out, one, she was born of a virgin, that's demanded by the Old Testament, and two, that because she was born of a virgin, he was without sin. So clearly the, the, the key component of this discussion is that Jesus was born without original sin. And I guess, uh, I guess uh, a part of the question would come down to, does the required lineage mandate a biological component from that lineage? If so, uh, then it was, he would have had to have yes. some of that. If not, then of course, if lineage can come out of birth location, then of course that would be the The most argument. impressive thing to me is this. Do, do any of you have siblings, brothers mm-hmm. and sisters? Mm-hmm. Okay, do, do you, have they been perfect in your life? Have they never said anything they shouldn't? <laughs> they ever done anything they shouldn't? Here you've got James and Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, head of the church in Jerusalem, Jude wrote in the, the Gospels, and they affirmed that he is the Savior. They grew up with him. They were around him for 30 years, and yet they still affirmed he's Lord and Savior. To me, that's one of the most impressive things I've ever heard, mm. because I don't know of any family that can say that about any family member. All right, gentlemen. Here's another interesting question. I'm a member of the Church of Christ, and as you probably know, they place a lot of stock in baptism. I've struggled a little with that as I feel the verses about believing unto salvation are the stronger. However, I am very curious about what the word water is referring to in the born of water and the spirit verse in John 3, 5. Well, John 3, to, when Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus at night and trying to explain to this teacher of this law of the law a, a simple fact that you need to be born again if you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he explains to him that you need to be born of water, a natural birth. So in, in that context, in John 3, water is simply uh, a natural birth. But a natural birth doesn't get you into the kingdom of heaven. You need to be uh, to to have a spiritual birth as well, and that is basically the definition of what being born again is about. When you believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, God makes you new. You're a new creation. A spirit gives birth to spirit, he says. That's your spiritual birthday. Uh, so uh, I often say, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. If you're only born once, if you only have had a physical birth, you're going to die a physical death and you're going to die a spiritual death on the lake of fire. If you're born again, if you're born twice, you will experience a physical death, but the second death has no power over you. All right. Thank you for that, Jeff Redorn. I'm going to ask another question here right before break. So how about this? Second Timothy 3.5, Paul is listing character traits of people in the end times, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. So apparently there's power in godliness. What is this? Can the guys discuss this and shed more light on this? Well, here it talks about denying the power. What I see in most Christians today is they don't know they have the power. They don't understand that they have authority, 
Uh, they have the word of the Lord. They have a right to speak for him in the culture. And as a result, most of them don't know how to work out their discipleship or make disciples of others because, quite frankly, they haven't been taught, for one thing, which is a criminal in my mind. But the reality is they are they do have that authority. They just don't know how to put it to work. And I think too often that's what we see here in these kind of things. Yeah, and, and I think clearly, uh, Pastor, that seems to be the indication of the context where it talks about that they're giving over to the things of the flesh, which would be denying the power of the Spirit. Yeah, yeah. I think of the, I think of the religious person when I see this. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. They they are they are, they have a religiosity about them. They're doing religious things from the outside. They they appear to be godly in a way, but they deny the power of a changed life. That's the reality in Christ, right? So they're they're like playing God, they're playing religion, but don't have the true power of Christ in you. One of the things I worry about in Christianity is that we put so much emphasis on the second coming, which I believe in with all my heart, and so much emphasis on, you know, going to be with Jesus eternally, which is true, but missing the point that in the meantime, we are called to be his voice and his body in this world and to be ambassadors of the gospel and to make disciples out of people. I think most people's definition of Christianity is I go to church on Sunday, I may go to a midweek Bible study, and I read my devotional at home. That's virtually nothing compared to you have been born to go out and to reach people, to disciple them, to help them with their real needs and help them come into the kingdom of God. And I think most of us miss that, and we don't understand that, but that's what we've been created for, and that's why we believe in Jesus. All right, we're going to take a little break, and during the break, I'm going to show them a picture of pizza. (laughs) (laughs) They're not going to actually get it, but I will show a picture. And if you have a question and you want to squeeze it in, in this hour of Guide Talk, we have time for your question, 877-933-2484. Tom Parrish, Trevor Rubenstein, and Jeff Redorn are my power panel. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Welcome back. If you just joined us, welcome for the first time. It's Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. I've got Jeff, Trevor, and Tom. They're ready to take your questions, 877-933-2484. Let's see. Does sanctification require work on our part? Does it require work on our part? Yeah, well, if you put it in terms of work as a duty, you miss the point. The point is that once we have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, sanctification means that now everything we do, giving of money, serving others, witnessing, are done out of thankfulness. We are simply thankful for what he's done. So for me, you know, serving other people, helping the poor, witnessing for Jesus is not a chore. Nor do I go to bed at night wondering, did I do enough? The issue is, I'm just thankful to Jesus for what he's done for me. I'm going to do that every chance I can. 
Yeah, it's an internal work by the Holy Spirit, the way that Jeremiah, Jeremiah discusses a distinction between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant is the New Covenant, God writes the law on our minds and our hearts. So he does a work internally within us and changes really our very desires and the things and the ways that we act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the really quick, 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says that, and that is what some of you were, Paul just listed this list of sins, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and that word in the Greek is hagios, it means you've been made holy, so you have been made holy, it's a done deal. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Most people, though, when we use the word sanctification, are really referring to what I think more precisely should be called progressive sanctification. The work of sanctification has been done in us, we have been made holy, but we are responsible for if you will, dying to ourself more and more and more, trusting in him more and more and more. Um, And that's what I would describe as progressive sanctification. All right, here's another question. Speaking of Jewish people, huh, wonder who's going to get this question. (laughs) I think it's for you, Tom. I'm Dutch. Have have we gotten any Dutch questions yet? No, not a one. Not a one. Not a one. Yeah. Speaking of Jewish people, why did God choose them to start all of this then they messed up and didn't believe. <laughs> Trevor, Ruben, we're waiting for this answer. <laughs> you go ahead. Well, let's let's start with why he chose Israel. Right. Um, this is addressed in Deuteronomy chapter nine, starting in verse five, where the Lord is speaking to them, and it's very clear. He says, "It's not because of your righteousness." or the uprightness of heart that you go to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, and they, that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so what we see here is it's not because they're good. Actually, it's even go back one verse earlier. It says, do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out. This is verse four. Before you saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me into possession of the land. But it is because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. So it, it has to do with remnant type of idea that the Lord preserves people to fulfill his promise, not because they're good. And actually, even not because they're great, but because they're few in number, as he states also in Deuteronomy, um, that the Lord uses them so that he can receive the glory. So it has nothing to do with being good. The Lord just specifically chose people because of a relationship that he had with Abraham, and then that passed down from descendant to descendant, and the Lord keeps his promises. This idea, though, about about how Israel now kind of... uh, um, chose otherwise, which nationally is true, although individually, not necessarily, as Paul states in Romans chapter 11, there's always been a remnant. But what's powerful here is we start and we look in Romans chapter 11, verse 11, and continue for just a few verses here. It says this, I say then, have they, speaking of Israel, stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And so one of the reasons here, again, for Israel's rejection, because the new covenant is a gift for Israel. Israel. 
And so in Israel's rejection, the idea is if you don't want it, it's available for somebody else. Mm. Remember, Jesus has this conversation with the Samaritan woman where she asked him to heal her daughter. And he said he was only sent to Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she said, well, even the dogs get the crumbs off the master's table. The idea is what you don't want is available for others. So instead of looking down upon Israel, the, the, the Gentiles should be thankful because it was as a result of their rejection that then they can enter into eternal life. And then it goes on and says, no, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, as he emphasizes again, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, Paul states, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh to save some of them, for if their being cast away as the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Paul is, is saying, that when Israel rejects the gospel, that it leads to all of the nations being able to hear and enter into eternity with our promise with the Lord and our God. And, uh, and so what happens then, he says, then when they accept, it's even greater than that, uh, possibly somehow correlating to the return of our Lord. Um, so powerful statement. And, uh, and I think that the idea is God chooses out of grace. And uh, and by his mercy, and then their rejection is not something we should look down upon, but we should be broken for them mm-hmm. um, and thankful. Do any of the Gentiles on the panel have anything else to say? Well, yeah. I mean, that was a great summary. Paul even says, because you rejected it, I now go to the Gentiles. And so the gospel went to the Gentile world because the Jews did reject it. I mean, Luke 19 says that, that Israel has rejected um, it's, it's, he says, uh, and now I can't, I just lost the verse because of you've rejected it. I'm going to send you out to the whole world basically is something, uh, in Luke 19. And so their rejection ended up leading to the destruction of the temple and the dispersion of the Jewish people, uh, throughout the world so that they lost much, but because of their rejection, it did end up coming to the Gentile and, and this to the whole world. I'll, I'll just one more kind of, uh, amendment to that. One day, like we talked about in the first hour, Israel will finally recognize their Messiah and and be saved. And let's see if we can bring this home, like, you know, hit a home run, get everybody in. Yep. Deuteronomy 9, 6, right after what you quoted there. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. We must never forget as Christians, we're a stubborn people too, mm. and that we are saved by grace through faith, and we must never, ever take that for granted and therefore, we must never exclude people or reject them because of who they are, because Jesus wants to reach them as well, and it's our job to represent him in the world. Yeah, I, I found that verse. I'm I, sorry. They will dash you to the ground, you, the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone upon another. That's the reference to 70 AD and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Wow. Mm. All right, here's another question. Are, Christ, are Christians bound to Old Testament dietary laws? Trevor's laughing. Are you, are you asking me this question? <laughs> no, I'm not. I am kind of glancing your direction. I, I, I like bacon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so bound, uh, the, uh, so the first question, it would when I hear those that type of verbiage, is for what purpose? Um, obviously, salvation is grace through faith. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and actually, um, the earlier prescription for eating was that the Lord said that all food was made clean after Mm -hmm. the flood. 
Um, so then Israel is given a prescription regarding what they can or can't eat. And the prescription that's given to Israel is fascinating because it seems like, for the most part, the things that they can eat are also the same things that can be sacrificed. Uh, so it's kind of interceding and being a nation of priests that's representing the priestly role, possibly for all of the nations. But it looks like, again, uh, when we come to the New Testament times, uh, that that same prescription was not... A, obviously uh, put upon the Gentiles, uh, for, but it, ne- it was never upon anyone for eternal life. And that, I think, is, is what's most important. Mm-hmm. Today, the new tip, Paul says, eat anything you want in the meat market without raising objection as long as you give thanks to it. Peter saw a tablecloth coming down that says, get up, Peter, kill, eat. I think the dietary, we are no longer under the law. So I would say a born-again Christian lives under a new system called grace not the old system called the law. Mm-hmm. All right. Hard to believe we are already out of time. That's wow. past two hours. It is. Yeah. Trevor, how'd you do today? Uh, you tell me. No, I, thought, <laughs> I thought you were great. I just did a terrific job. Two thumbs up. As far as your energy level, all good? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Nice, absolutely. nice. You, uh, we had him answer a lot of questions today, didn't we? A lot. A lot Jeff of, and I are here to carry him out put if a, needed. Put, yeah. a lot of, put a lot of pressure. <laughs> put a lot of pressure on him. So, gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, always look forward to this, as do listeners. Thank you for uh, sending in all these great questions. I didn't get to all of them, and I apologize. And I do take notes, and I stick them in a file. And then, you know, we start the next guy talk, and more, more questions question. are coming in. So um, I'm not ignoring your question. Trust me. It, I put it in a file, and then sometimes... Amidst all the busyness, I still look for that file. Where is that file? Yeah. It's where the pizza <laughs> there is. A lo- yeah, it's yeah. right where the pizza is. There are, there's a lot of moving parts in this show. So if you didn't hear your question, I do apologize, and I'll, I pray I'll get to it. And thank you so much for all the great contributions and for many people that said, I've got a crisis today. We're thinking about you and praying for you, and we love you, and we trust that God will help you through this. So have a great night, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.